Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Warning, this podcast contains paranormal, conspiracy, and true crime cases. The nature of these cases may be gory, unsettling, or vulgar. Please be advised. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan, and this is episode 61. Can we get a whoop, whoop, whoop? Um, not only is this our Thanksgiving special, but we have a very special guest with us here today. Um, everybody, please welcome Logan Lewis from the Binge Boys Podcast. Woo-hoo. Hey, Go girls. Thank Go you so much. Let them hear your voice. Let them hey. hear it. <laughs> so, here. Logan, how long have we all known each other? And then tell us all about your podcast and what you do and what you what your passion is with podcasting. Um, Probably, I think we met right when you guys started. I right. messaged you guys on Instagram and I was like, we have a mutual friend and Amanda. Yes. Uh-huh. And uh, she actually, I think, was like, hey, my friends are starting. You should like message them and you guys should like link up or something. And here we are finally doing it. Yes. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I do the Binge Boys podcast. It's all about the hottest in TV and movies. Um, we do two episodes a week. We do a one on Tuesdays. And that just covers the hottest of what's going on today. Um, like uh, the week that this episode comes out, Thanksgiving. This comes out on Thanksgiving, yeah, right? Thanksgiving yeah. Day. Um, we talked about the new Ghostbusters movie Ooh, and the, I'm in. <laughs> the new uh, Spider-Man trailer. So those are the two big ticket items from this week. But then on Thursdays, we do kind of what we're going to do today is talk about a movie from the past. Like a throwback. Like Thursday. a throwback. Throwback exactly. Thursdays. Ooh, I've never even thought about <laughs> okay, it Okay, like that's that. what yeah, it is throwback now. Throwback Thursday. There you go. Um, so yeah, that, that's it. And I'm super excited and super happy. I We got off the phone when you guys called me and asked me to do this. And I was like shaking with excitement. <laughs> so... Well, we are so glad that you are yes. here. And actually, you guys, when we had first met Logan or when he reached out to us, he was our guidance uh, to our the podcast guide. world. Like he Literally. knew, he helped us with so much. So we are so very grateful for him. Wow. Yeah. yeah if we hadn't had Logan in our letter in those beginning days, I don't know that we would be <laughs> we here would, right now. We would still be producing content like episode one. That's <laughs> wow. It was so rough up until so, then. Thank you for being here. Yes. We are so excited. We're going to um, tell you guys a little bit about today's episode and we'll get re- into our regular banter. Um, we're going to be doing a crossover of 
Creeps and Crimes and the Binge Boys podcast. And we're going to be talking about one movie specifically that has a true crime, a paranormal. And then Logan's going to cover all the things about the movies. Yeah. So, yeah, let's get into our regular banter. What are you drinking? Okay, guys. So we, if you're watching on YouTube, and yes, I know we came on last week and we're like, hey, um, we're not going to be on YouTube for a bit. But this is one of the specials that will have video content as of right now, praying that everything goes correctly with all of this. Um, But tune into our YouTube to see this. It's Creeps and Crimes Podcast. We are all drinking mimosas Mm. because it is 11 o'clock on a Sunday. Saturday morning, so of course we had to come out with some mimosas, yes. everybody. And Logan's fiance, Catherine, is here with us. She's if over you here wanna, in the corner. want to yell a little hello, everybody. Hello, Catherine. <laughs> um, me, Catherine, and Taylor are drinking champagne with a little bit of OJ. orange juice, while Logan, on the other hand, is driving to Nashville <laughs> after this, so he... He's got a little more OJ in that. He's yeah. taking it easy. We're, we're doing a little more OJ. <laughs> yes. So funny. But I did want to hop on here and just really quickly, um, I know you guys listened to our ads about um, our lashes in Knoxville, and we spoke a little bit ago about a GoFundMe for um, our favorite lash artist, Lexi's sister, who was battling with COVID, but unfortunately... Um, few days ago, she lost her battle. We're going to link her GoFundMe page just to help pay for the medical bills and the GoFundMe for her funeral um, down in our show notes just because like Lexi does so much for us. She gives us awesome discounts for you to get lashes and falsies, whatever you guys want. So if you guys have anything to give, please go donate to her. If you're watching on our YouTube, it's going to be up here, a picture, and then um, it'll have the link that you can QR scan. Yeah. So hold some lights and some positive energy Lexi's way. And Lexi, we are so very terrible sorry for your loss yeah we love you um next i am so excited about this podcast though guys like i so just a little what is this called like a the crossover a, the, no not the crossover i'm giving like a disclaimer disclaimer i'm giving you a disclaimer so we've all been like okay this is going to be the perfect crossover for this awesome like crossing of these podcasts that like brought each other up together like I feel like we like all raised each other together like in this little way like with Logan being like our older brother like yanking us ahead and we I've been so excited about this so when we were like okay Amityville you've seen the logo sorry you've seen the title you know what it is trying to keep it a secret but it's literally it's literally in the title so um (laughs) I haven't seen the Amityville movie Amityville horror movie since middle school and in order to keep myself really Really plain. The only thing I looked up was the true crime aspect of it. So you two are going to be blowing my minds today, and I wanted it. to keep it that way. You know, there's plenty to talk about. Yeah, yes. there's plenty sure. of subject matter there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we get started, it is our Thanksgiving special. So we are going to go around the table like we're at a Thanksgiving dinner, and we are going to say what we are thankful for. You want Logan, me to go first? you're first. <laughs> okay, wow, go. I'm first. Um, <laughs> I, of course, am thankful for my wonderful and beautiful fiance, Catherine. Uh, Just doing a hair flip over there. Supports me and and helps me and is probably the creative advisor to my podcasts because she comes up with all the good ideas. <laughs> she's actually girl. the mastermind. <laughs> she actually runs. She's like, she's like fist pumping right now because <laughs> internally because like she's like, I do all this consulting work and I get no recognition for it and I'm giving you the recognition no, right now. No, this is your moment. I'm actually, if you're watching on YouTube, there's a beautiful picture of her right above us so yes. you can just see her. All Look right? It's right here. Absolutely a beaut. Um I'm thankful for my parents, of course. I'm thankful for you guys for having oh. me here. Um, and for the same so thing that Taylor you. said, that 
kind of just like helping each other grow and and just make it work in the space. So I think that's it. And my friends and other that's family, my Mima, love love you, Mima. Oh, Mima, uh, oh, Mima. Big shouts to Mima. Uh, <laughs> we love a Mima. We do love Mima. We love a Mima. I gotta send this to her. Um, nah, what about you, Morgan? Oh, me, okay. I have the most generic answer every year. I hate this question. It's her, it's the, okay, it's only been one year before this, but it's gonna be the exact same. Refer back to our last Thanksgiving <laughs> um, episode. I am very thankful that I am surrounded by such great friends in my life that are always there for me. Uh, Miss Taylor Jane over there, she is my rock. <laughs> Are you drunk? Am I drunk? That's the nicest drunk. thing I've ever said. I know. You don't ever speak nice to me and I'm going to anyway, cry. Um, I'm also thankful for my boyfriend. He, um, I love him. Yeah. <laughs> love great. you. Man. And my sweet, sweet doggy who my boyfriend did gift to me. I love Ollie. He is also um, my rock. He Ollie's number one. He saved my life. <laughs> Not really. That's dramatic. He but. saved my life. Um, and my family and my other friends. Thank you guys. And you too, Logan, for being here. I'll yes. throw that back at you. All right. And you, Catherine, over there. With your she's just grinning over in the corner. and like, She's wedding planning in the corner. Yes. And she's also waiting for me to be like, I need more champagne. Please. And creeps and crimes. <laughs> and all of our fans. I'm thankful for you guys too. Yes. Okay. Um, what I'm thankful for. I mean, uh, guys, I... Uh, I'm not okay. Are you about today. to cry? I really am. Like, oh, here we go. I've had a really tough last few weeks, and like the only thing that I feel like has like pulled me out of the bed in the morning is this podcast and like the people that we get to connect with and our listeners and our family. And I just love you guys so much. Thank you guys for like tuning in to us and like easing with us whenever we're having a rough time. And when we're just like not okay sometimes and I can't fucking read, we know. Thanks, Marty Bass. But <laughs> we're but, thankful for you. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm just saying, like, it, it's been a rough ride these last few weeks. And having, you know, knowing that I get to speak with you guys every week, like, makes me so happy. And obviously I'm so thankful for my husband, Logan, and my my family. They're just amazing. And um, I'm really thankful for this podcast family too. Like it was a part of my life that I never knew I needed. And but the second I had it, I don't think I can ever let go of it and you guys are amazing and I love you guys so that's what I'm thankful for so before we start you guys take a second and remember what you're thankful for and wipe your fucking tears all right like Um, are we ready I'm ready hit them with it Morgan if you're driving throw that shit on cruise control if you got a glass pour that shit up and let's get creepy Okay, guys, surprise, surprise. I'm going first today. <laughs> Ooh. So Morgan. All right, Taylor, hit him with it. She has to say that to me or else I won't go, I won't do it. She'll just stand there. I'll be like, there. are you going to say it? Um, okay, guys. So today I'm going to start us off with the Amityville mass murder. Oh, shit. So my sources are fancypantshomes.com, Wikipedia, the New York Post, and Zillow. Of course, oh, duh. Zillow. You know I live on Zillow. Like Zillow. it was a perfect source for me today. So the story of 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, Long Island, begins in 1924. John and Catherine Moynihan question mark built their dream home. It was a five bedroom, four bathroom, three story waterfront home with a boat slip, private pool, 
a boat and a pool house. Okay. Um, hello. Flexing on them. A two-car garage and a beautiful yard for a family to grow up in. It was perfect. Especially when the DeFeo family moved in in 1965. They were a well-off American-Italian family who decided to leave Brooklyn behind for this perfect family waterfront home. But all that changed on the evening of November 13th, 1974, at 6.30 p.m. Upon returning home from work, the oldest son of the family, 23-year-old Ronald Jr., was shocked when he was not greeted by the typical busy family home that he had always been welcomed home to after a long day. He called out for his mother and his father, but there was no response. He then calls out for his four siblings, but there was nothing. Ronald Jr. decided to walk down the hall to his parents' room. As he slowly opened the door, he sees it. Both of his parents, 43-year-old Ronald DeFeo Sr. and 43-year-old Louise DeFeo, lying face down in their beds, surrounded by a mattress soaked in blood. Ronald Jr. ran as fast as he could in the town. He entered Henry's bar and he's screaming, you've got to help me. My mother and my father are shot. Ronald and a group of people return back to the home to try and help him and see what's going on with the family while others at the bar called the Suffolk, 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 Suffolk County. Yes. Suffolk County. It looks like Suffolk, and you guys know I don't do well with those. Suffolk, right? Okay, we're back now. Uh, County Police Department. When the police arrived at the family home, they found Ronald Sr. and Louise had been shot twice each, and they were both declared dead upon arrival. But what the police found next would be a scene that altered this town and the world as we know it forever. As police walked around the family home and into each of the children's bedrooms, they found 18-year-old Dawn, 13-year-old Allison, 12-year-old Mark, and 9-year-old John Matthew, all dead, face down in their beds with one single shot to the back of their heads. The police officers rushed Ronald Jr. to the local police station for his protection, fearing that this was a mob hit, specifically a well-known mob hitman, Louis Fellini, question mark. Um, once police searched the crime scene and sent all six of the victims' body to the medical examiner's office, they began questioning Ronald Jr. about what he heard that night, what he saw, what made him think that this was the doing of the mob. But it's almost as if with every question they asked him, his story changed little detail by detail. And police began to grow suspicious. Why would they kill everyone but you? Why would anyone want to go after your family? Police leave the interview room with John Ronald Jr. and they have a sinking feeling in their stomach. Did he kill his entire family? In an attempt to bury these feelings about Ronald, they decided to track down Louise or Louis Fellini not Louise, um, which is when they find out that Fellini was actually out of state visiting family with a rock solid alibi. There was no way that he could have done this. And he was able to confirm that there was not a hit out on the family by the mob, which I'm like, how, how's that conversation going? Right. Exactly. Like, obviously like, I'm a hitman. 
I'm obviously not guilty of this one. But like also there's not a hit on the family. Yeah. So you're good. Let me it's check my us. book real fast. Like, <laughs> like what? It's not us. Yeah. So they're, you know, they're they go back into the room with Ronald now and they're like, hey, there's no way you could have done this, and there's not a hit out on your family. So what happened? And very shortly after this little conversation, almost like instantaneously, they got the truth. And the truth started with one statement. Once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. Ronald Jr. had shot his mother, father, and four siblings with a 35 caliber lever action Marlin 336C rifle at 3 a.m. earlier that day. He took a bath, got dressed, threw out the clothes that he wore during the murders, got rid of the murder weapon and the cartridges, got a bite to eat, and went to work as if nothing ever happened. That's crazy. That is crazy. So Ronald Jr. was arrested and then charged with the murder of his family. On October 14th, 1975, his trial began. Immediately, Ronald Jr.'s defense lawyer, William Weber, came out of the gates with an affirmative defense of insanity because Ronald believed that it was self-defense. Even though his entire family was obviously asleep at the time of their murders, but that's not what Warner Ronald believed or told everyone. In fact, he said he heard them, their voices, plotting against them to kill Ronald Jr. The psychiatrist for the prosecution, Dr. Harold Zolan, came back saying, yes, I'm sure that's exactly what you thought you heard because, Ronald, you are well known for your drug use in Amityville. But not just any drugs. I'm talking heroin and LSD, y'all. Oh, yeah. Like, literally, you're hearing voices, right. you know? Hallucinating on LSD. But on top of all of this, he had recently been diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. And because of his confession and this diagnosis, it's clear that he was well aware of his actions at the time of the murder. So despite the fact that he might have been on drugs, because of his antisocial personality disorder, that's what led to his drug use. And it was so, I don't know how else to explain this in like a medical term. So basically it was like, a way for him to feel normal? Mm-hmm. Question mark? Maybe? Who knows? Uh, I keep saying that. I don't know why that's my slogan today. Last time it was apparently. Now it's question mark. Um, question mark? It's Who fine. Knows? I'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> Cute little joke. But he had this personality disorder. And if you, what we know now is that is a telltale sign for a serial killer or a murderer just in general. So um, it's... He was, they believe that he was very well aware of the actions at his time of, of the murder when he did it. However, the psychiatrist for the defense, Dr. Daniel Schwartz, fully supported the insanity plea after many sessions with Don Ronald Jr., mainly because of the simplicity of the shots and some of the evidence that was found in the autopsies and after processing the crime scene. Despite all of this, the trial judge. Thomas Stark remarked that Ronald Jr.'s crimes were the, quote, most heinous murders committed in the county since its founding. And on November 21st, 1975, Ronald Jr. was found guilty on six counts of second degree murder. And sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. 
I don't know that I agree with that. I guess since it was a second degree charge and not a first degree charge, so I'm saying that there it wasn't planned out before. But I don't know that I agree with the 25 years to life. I think it would be like 100 years to life. Right. Like if you, it's six people. You you killed six people. And four of them were minors. So. Right. And they never accepted the insanity plea, did they? No. I don't the understand the whole like, why don't they just, this This just is just a, na- a naive question. <clears throat> why Why don't they just say like, you're serving life in prison? Right. Me, why do they, why do they say you're serving a hundred years in life? It's like I'm <laughs> yeah, sixty years. already. Yes, I'm exactly. not going to live a hundred years. So technically, with the twenty five years life, it means that he's eligible for parole after twenty five years mm-hmm. if good behavior is available. Mm. But he killed six people. Right. Yeah. You're not getting that parole. He, he doesn't need to be out on the streets. We don't even need to like have that paperwork in our office. Like you're don't waste your time. You know. Yeah. So, anyways. And on March 12th, 2021, all right, guys, recently, Ronald Jr. died um, at the age of 69 in the Albany, Albany Medical Center in New York. Wow. Yes. But at the time, like his entire like imprisonment, he was at Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, New York. Um, and he appealed and requested for parole multiple times, and they were all denied. Again, we don't even need the paperwork. Yeah. Sidetracked here, um, I actually got a Twitter DM or maybe a text from Logan that same day saying, so did he do it or was he possessed? Do you remember that? You sent me like a Twitter report on this guy. And you're I like, did? You're like, what do you think? Yeah. Really? Yes. Uh, in March? In March? Yeah, when he died. Oh, wow. That's I don't, re- I don't even, re- I don't even remember that. we were deciding the topic, I was like, oh, he's asked me about Amityville before. Like, about yeah. if they, oh, they were possessed. Oh, that's right. Or, I did do that. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Wow. A little full circle right here. So this case, if we were just looking at it from, you know, a typical true crime podcast, like me give, pitching you guys a case, it's pretty cut and dry. Um, he did it. He murdered his family. Whatever. But there is so much controversy that surrounds this case, especially because of the years that came behind it, all right? Specifically about how the bodies were found and the fact that despite the murder weapon was an extremely loud gun, not a single neighbor heard anything. So I went on and like read as much as I could from the Wikipedia sources that they gave Again, with my Wikipedia, if you need my full source list, just go to the Wikipedia source list. Um, I went on there and I was reading. And basically, Ronald Jr. said that he drugged the family. And that's why they didn't move at the time that they were shot and they were all face down. But I don't know too many people that sleep face down or if you're like, okay, let me put it in this point. When I'm super drunk, all right, like this is the closest I can get to like being poisoned. When I'm super drunk, what do you do when you're in your bed? You lay on your back with your mouth open and you breathe and you pray to God and you swear to God you're never going to drink again. <laughs> That's right? actually what you're not supposed to do. Exactly. <laughs> you're supposed to lay on your side. But I'm looking at the ceiling fan the entire time like, God, I swear to God, I'll never drink another sip of alcohol Please again. let me recover. <laughs> if you just let me breathe through this, you have like full body chills. You're like not okay. You're like, this is definitely alcohol poisoning. Like it's not a good situation. Yeah. So how every single person in the house was sleeping on their belly. Like, yeah. Why were they facing? down like I'm not even talking on their belly like to the side I'm talking face down in the pillows so Ronald Jr. was like no I absolutely drugged them well when the toxicology reports came back there were not a single drop hint of 
any sort of drugging in their system. So then were they all in a trance? Mm -hmm. Was there a trance that they were all in that made them in the exact same position that allowed him to shoot them all one shot dead face down in their beds with no defensive wounds, no one fighting back, no one tampering with the crime scene after the fact that they were shot. And why did no one hear this gun go off? Yeah. There like was not even a muffler on it. Him. That's the exactly. question of the day right there. There has to be a force field around this house, right? So the real question to the true crime portion of this is did the voices make him do it? Were they in his head or were they in the house? The family that bought the house after this crime may have a story or two to tell of their own. So Morgan, what do you think? Oh, what do I think? Um, This brings me into my segment, you guys. (laughs) Um, Before I start, I'm going to go ahead and list my sources. So we'll take a little break and build that tension up. Um, uh, my sources today are all that's interesting.com, the New York Post.com, ABCnews.com, biography.com, hitc.com, the rap.com, and the official Ed and Lorraine Warren channel Ooh-hoo. on YouTube. So the Amityville home that sits at 112 Ocean Avenue on a canal off the Long Island Sound wasn't assumed to be haunted at first. As a matter of fact, this quaint little house being consumed by the paranormal wasn't even in question. Even with the insanity pleas from Robert DeFeo Jr. after he shot and killed all six of his family members, people and officials still weren't convinced. He was simply dubbed off as a psycho. It wasn't until a little over a year after the crime, in December of 1975, that local townspeople began questioning that, you know, maybe Robert DeFeo Jr. was telling the truth. Maybe he wasn't just some lunatic that was capable of murdering his family. Maybe there was more to it. And maybe this house has something seriously sinister going on inside of it. But what brought these questions and this nature of doubt to the table? And that answer is the Lutz family. The Lutz family moved into the house in December of 1975. It consisted of husband and wife, George and Kathy Lutz, as well as Kathy's three children from a previous marriage, Daniel, Christopher, and Missy. The Lutz family purchased the home for only $80,000 after being on the market for an entire year. At this time, George and Kathy thought they were getting a steal until they realized what home it was that they were buying. You know, the one with the gruesome murders and the alleged spirits attached to it. But they saw this as an opportunity to grow their family in such a great area and live the life that they have always wanted. So without second thought, they purchased the 4,000-square-foot home for a mere 80 k George Lutz stated in an interview with ABC, it was a dream come true. I feel like nightmare is the proper word yeah, to use there, George, it? but by all Question means, mark? dream, I guess. Yeah, go ahead and throw <laughs> that word out there. With the now-known history, they thought it would be a good idea to get the house blessed on the very first day that they moved in. So the local priest came, Father Ray Bacoro probably butchering that. Sorry, Marley. And he started his blessings around the house. George also claimed in the same interview with ABC that while in the sewing room, the priest felt a hand slap him, followed by a deep voice saying, get out. And then Father Picoro, sorry, became ill with flu-like symptoms and his hands began to bleed. (gasps) Shortly Uh. after, the couple began to notice odd things around the house. And I think odd, again, is a light word to use here. I think one more fitting word is evil things happening around the house. 
For example, the doors were being ripped off of its hinges, the cabinets were slamming shut, and a green slime-like material was oozing from the ceiling. Oh my god, oh my god, it's demonic. (laughs) There were cold spots all over the house, as if the entire house was just one giant cold spot. And now we do have to remember that this was in the month of December, and it was in the state of New York, but... The house was heated by a wood burner, and a wood burner keeps a house very, very, very toasty. If we know anything by the fireplace behind us, (laughs) my back is burning. (laughs) Um, Yeah, if you guys are hearing anything, it's a fireplace behind us. It's really aesthetically pleasing on the YouTube. Yeah, it's not aesthetically pleasing on my ass. Um, And the Lutz family stated that they kept the fire burning day and night in an attempt to feel just the slightest bit of warmth. In the same interview, George said, there were odors in the house that came and went there were sounds the front door would slam shut in the middle of the night i couldn't get warm for days oh god as each day the lutz family resided on 112 ocean avenue the activity progressively got worse almost every night george mysteriously would wake up at 3 15 in the morning which is the same time is that's believed to be when the defeo family murders took place He would hear his stepchildren's beds slamming up and down on the floor, but as hard as he tried to get out of his bed to check on them, he would find himself immobilized, a.k.a. stuck in sleep paralysis. Which brings us back to the question of how did the family, like, was the family Were they in a trance? Yeah. So George said he was in a trance almost every time he heard something creepily going on. Right. He said at random times throughout the day and the night, he would see his wife, physically transform into an old woman. Oh, God. The face, the hair, the wrinkles of a 90-year-old woman. Divorce. The family would see and hear a nearby garage door opening and closing, but nobody ever pulling in or out. And at one point, sitting around the table for dinner, they all watched as a knife was knocked down by what was assumed to be a spirit. And the creepiest thing of all, George and his stepson Daniel were outside one day. And they were walking towards the house when they saw a pig-faced-like creature with red eyes staring them down from a window. Burn down the house! George said he told (laughs) Daniel to wait outside, and as he searched the entire house, there was nothing. I'm sure there wasn't. Actually, scratch that, because that wasn't the creepiest thing of all. The events that took place on their 28th night in the house was their hint to get the fuck out of there. Run. George had awoken at 3.15 a.m. yet again. He looked over to the other side of his bed where his wife, Kathy, usually lays sound asleep. But this time, she wasn't. George laid and watched as Kathy was levitating (gasps) and moving across their bed. I have chills. After a panic and getting his wife down, they decided it was time. They needed to leave and they needed to right then and there. Sprinting to the children's room, Kathy grabbed her daughter, Missy. But when George entered Daniel and Christopher's room, he claims that they too were levitating. Early that morning, after only 28 days, the Lutz family fled the house, leaving their clothes in their closets, the food in their refrigerator, and their furniture still inside the home. George Lutz stated that if the family had not left, he believed something horrible would have happened. Yeah. And he tries not to think about the what-ifs. When word got out that the Lutzes abandoned the home after not even a month, your average paranormal gurus began to contact them. Mm-hmm. And two months later, a group of psychic researchers assembled together to validate the Lutz family's claims. 
including your favorites, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yeah. Lorraine and Ed, prior to the investigation, had not heard of the DeFeo murders in the Amityville house because they were out of the country at that time. When they were called in, they were explained the murders that took place and how a family fled after only 28 days. And of course, they were interested. When they got there, George Lutz was supposed to meet them to let them in the house. But when they got to the house, George wasn't there. So he called them and George said, the closest I will come to that house is four blocks away. I'll give you the keys at a pizza parlor nearby. So Ed and Lorraine headed his way. They took the keys and headed back to the house. And I'm going to be reading a transcript from the YouTube video titled Amityville Horror. It is on the official Ed and Lorraine Warren channel. And it is um, Ed talking about his first experience into the house. Oh, my God. It's very crazy. It's very dark and very intense. Um, Ed says, I'm not a clairvoyant. I'm not sensitive. But when I opened up that door and walked in that house, it reeked of death. The first place I always go is into the cellar. It's my custom to go into the lowest part of the house. These are usually the darkest areas. This is where evil thrives. This is where it survives. It hates God's light. It hates sunlight. It hates any kind of light. So while Lorraine headed upstairs, I went down. And as a religious demonologist, I took out a crucifix and I held it up. And I commanded, in the name of Jesus Christ, whatever was there to reveal itself. It wasted no time. I had never had such a quick reaction. I felt as though I was underneath a waterfall. That's how terrific the pressure was on my head and my shoulders. It was forcing me down to the floor. Then I felt what I can only describe. Sorry. As hundreds of pinpoints of electricity hitting my body. And then it was this. It was as if somebody had taken a hot towel and dropped it over my face. I couldn't breathe. I knew what was happening immediately because I felt it before, but not to that extent. I immediately went into what we call religious resistance, and I commanded in the name of Jesus Christ to leave and go back to where it came from. And it immediately lifted off, and I've never headed up the stairs so quickly. That shit right there was dark. That is dark. That is dark. Um, And now Lorraine, and remember, neither of them had ever been in that home before she said the room that you see at the very front of the house as soon as she walked in she stood and could see all of the bodies <gasps> all lined up and no. that it was very visually clear to her that that's where the defios were prior to be taken out to the morgue oh. so before she even entered the home the main entranceway she said she could see all six bodies lying there on Whatever the more stop because Jeez. I saw the picture of that today. Yeah. So I, look at my arms, verify that they are Chills. absolutely goosebumped. RN, Chills. not okay. Um, and oh that, my god, and that the image that she had was absolutely horribly disturbing. <gasps> she said as she walked up the first set of stairs to the first landing near the great big window, it felt as if she was standing right under what rushing water, a pressure on your body so intense. She said this happens because the atmosphere will solidify in homes like this. It's like literally like trying to cut through a cement wall. I'm not okay. (laughs) She continued up the stairs and made a left because that's where she was drawn to. And this room was the sewing room, a.k.a. the room that the priest got slapped in the face. She was drawn to. Beach slapped. And Lorraine looked at one of the camera guys and said that this room is the closest to hell we will ever get. Oh, not funny anymore. How chilling that is awful both ed and lorraine agreed that it was a home that they would never return to and that it had an overwhelming feeling of horrible depression they're like sorry guys right gtg so how is the lutz family now 
After a couple of months, a heavy evil weight had been lifted off of their shoulders. After sharing their story to books and movie producers, George and Kathy were actually asked to take a polygraph test. Oh. They passed. They were hit with large legal and financial issues, probably because they had 80 grand that they couldn't afford in a house that would never sell. And because of this, skeptics rose, claiming that their stories were one giant hoax just to make money. And to add to that fire, after a fallout over money issues, the family's lawyer came out in 1979 claiming that the three of them had came up with the horror story over a bottle of wine and that George was known to play around in the occult and inviting (gasps) spirits into his life. Why? But then you also have to think that if it was just one giant hoax to make money, why why would you flee your own home, abandon it, knowing that you will be broke with $80,000 down the drain? It's just really quite an elaborate hoax if it is one, which I don't think it is. Because after George Lutz's experiences, he reached out to the DeFeo's attorney, stating in his ABC interview that, quote, we realized there was something so wrong there that it would be inhumane, it would be improper to just let Robert rot in jail and not try to get him some kind of psychological help. So if it was one giant hoax, does this hoax include helping a murderer? Right. Like, I don't think so. I think what they experienced was real. And to back that up, so does their son, Daniel. Daniel claims that the house ruined his life and that he continues to have nightmares to this day. Um, Daniel actually appeared on the 2012 documentary, My Amityville Horror, and he was very adamant that the hauntings did, in fact, happen. As well as Christopher, who claimed that the books the book is not a hoax, but was extremely amplified, like books do. He was also known to clash with George, and he actually moved away from the family at 16 um, the daughter, Missy, she tends to stay away from the horror spotlight. Kathy and George got divorced five years after their experience at the Amityville House in 1980, and both have since passed away. Kathy from emphysema in 2004 and George from heart disease in 2006. The Amityville House sold in 2017 for $605,000, and the address has since been changed, and it has been entirely renovated. Quite the story of the Lutz family. It definitely sounds like something that would be turned into a movie. Right, Logan? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> in fact, I'm really glad that you said that because uh, Amityville in general has been made into dozens of movies. I, I noticed that too when I was actually looking for the movie to watch it. Yeah, there there's, was like 20 different things that yeah, popped up. There's, there's a ton of movies here. There's 15 listed here at least that have been created off of this uh, off of this entire case. Um, but I watched, um, I watched two movies. I watched the Amityville horror that came out in 1979 That's and I the watched original, right? the original. Yeah. Oh gee. And then I watched the Amityville horror that came out in 2005. That's the one I watched. And then I watched the little sliver of, uh, footage that they gave us, uh, in the conjuring Two when Ed and Lorraine Warren visited the Amityville house, but there's nothing really, I forgot that they did that. I yeah. totally forgot about that. It was at the too. very, very beginning of the yeah. movie. But and it doesn't even deserve to be touched on really because it they kind of used Amityville as like a way to introduce that nun character. And yeah. as of yeah. as of none of the stories that we've heard about Amityville, we've never heard mention of a nun. Right. Yeah, so I, I think they just kind of used Amityville as being like the most demonic case ever, whatever, to introduce uh, something like that villain. A little in that movie. Hollywood flair, if you will. Exactly. And I think, honestly, I think Hollywood had a lot of fun with the Amityville case, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, however, my sources for this are The Conjuring 2, The Amityville Horror from 1979 and 2005, 
and the Amityville Horror uh, video from Ed and Lorraine Warren's YouTube channel from The Seekers of the Supernatural. Nice. Oh, yeah. Um, so generally, um, I won't reiterate all the facts that you guys gave off, but kind of just going through the two movies. Uh, I know the main focus is the 2005 one just because it's newer, but mm-hmm. there is huge differences in the whole vibe and tone of both of those movies. Really? Oh, I wish I would have watched it now. I'll say this. And you should go back and watch the 79 version because the 1979 version of this case is far superior to then the 2005 movie. very quick turnaround after these stories came out. Yeah, 1979 when the murders took place in 74. Yeah. And he went to trial in 75. And they lived here in 75. Yeah. So it's a four-year turnaround. So they had only lived there for 10 years after the fact, or I'm sorry, nine years from the time that the murders happened versus when they bought the house and moved in. Yep. My voice is gone, sorry. Yeah, I know. I was like, ah! It's it's almost so disrespectful that that you know the movie making process with pre production and post production they pro- this case probably went down in se- it went down in seventy four they probably started scripting it in seventy six two yeah. years later but what was is- so like traumatizing about this case that like made them want to I think it was the really into- first um, case of like possession and mm-hmm. paranormal that hit national spotlight yeah. but what about when did the haunting in Connecticut happen. I can't I remember know. the date because that's that's also another big one in the true crime slash paranormal mm-hmm. community that yeah. like took over and it took them years uh-huh. to even bring that one into the spotlight. So I guess because it's New York. Was the um, seventy nine movie was that more focused on the DeFeo family or was it like the two thousand and five with simply the Lutz? It was. Family? It was just the Lutz family. Although both movies started out the same, showing uh, Ronnie killing the family. Yeah. Right. Um. And then it transitions into the Lutzes with their realtors. Pretty much both movies have that part down. But the 79 version of the movie really does a fantastic job at talking or really focusing on George. And mm-hmm. George is the main character of that movie. And it really it really focuses on his relationship with Kathy. Whereas the 2005 version, you see George butting heads with the kids more. Right, yeah, very, like... Kathy was very just sidelined in the 2005 movie. And I feel like another main character in the um, 2005 movie was the daughter. Yes. She played a really big role in that. Whereas in 79's version, the daughter had no role at all because... And she didn't have a role in the real story either. So 2005 added that little um, umph huh? So quickly, just to kind of brush over a little bit of the details of the movie... um, the budget for that movie, the 79 version, was $4.5 million. Wow. That's a shit ton of money for that. For 1979. Holy shit. That's a, Holy crap. I don't know what they spent that money on. Yeah. Um, it, opening weekend, it made $7.8 million. Wow. So it d- almost doubled the budget. <laughs> in its all-time run, it made $86.5 wow. million. Wow. In 1979, 1980, that is a boatload of money. That is <laughs> like an insane amount of money. Oh, my God. And so the Lutz family, that got back to them then? Like, was that given to them? The Because, like, a, a lot of the, oh, the money were like, it was a giant hoax. No, they, they sued. Sold... Twice the Lutz family sued Hollywood oh. uh, because of... Um, because of Hollywood promising. Well, I think Hollywood, especially for the 2005 version, George sued the production company because he was promised a certain amount of money and they didn't deliver. 
Wow, but it wasn't in writing. It was like a verbal agreement. It might have been a verbal thing. Yeah, cause, I mean, if, when you say promise, that's more verbal yeah. to me than yeah. Yeah. contraction. Um, <laughs> Contraction. Contractions. And it's important to note just the level of acting quality that portrayed Lutz. The, the people who played the, the priest and the, uh, the rest of the family, they were all side characters. George is the main focus here. Right. George was played in 1979 by James Brolin, the father of Josh Brolin. If you know who Josh Brolin is, he's the guy who played Thanos in Avengers. Yes, yes. Okay, got it. Um, so his dad played George. And then in 2005, Ryan Reynolds, oh, who plays Deadpool. And yes. way, way many other roles. And is married to Blake, Blake Lively. Lively. Yes. More, more importantly related to Blake Lively. More importantly. Uh, he plays uh, George in that movie. Which is and crazy. He's in a horror movie and the star of it, huh? Yeah, I'll say this. Uh, the 2005 version of this movie might be one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Really? Yeah. I've seen a lot of bad movies. I don't know which one I've seen. I feel like I've seen the older one because I remember being like, huh? Why are we watching this? Huh? It was really good. Um, I really enjoyed the older one. It scared me more than the 2005 version because the 2005 version focused a lot on like jump scares. Yeah. Whereas like, like you what watch the 2005 version, yeah. the scene where the kid's like brushing his teeth yeah, and, and then, then there's just thing like with this blood crawling out of his mouth. There's this just demon thing sitting there and, 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 Here's another fun fact too. I'm all, I'm all over the place. Go ahead. But I have these these notes here that I should <laughs> stick to. Ryan Reynolds and the production company was heavily scrutinized for the way that they portrayed George in the 2005 version. I believe that. Because in that version, he was portrayed to be like an animal, like abusive yeah. to his family, like an asshole, just like this like huge douchebag. Yeah. Oh yeah. Total fake. Yeah, and I have bullet points here from each movie, like what they did that they that didn't happen in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm gonna point those out. Yeah, let's yeah. Hear so we'll start with 1979 because that one had the more differences than the 2005 version. But these differences are just they're just weird. They're all just Hollywood shit. Got it's it. all Hollywood shit. Like for example. When the priest, both versions did this, when the priest got upstairs into that sewing room that they said is like the most demonic room ever. Right. They said uh, that the flies did not swarm and attack the priest in either version. The priest said that he saw a grouping of flies in the house, but they did not attack him like they did like in both movies. Both movies, they ran out of the, I think in the 79 version, they were just all crowded around the window mm-hmm. whereas in 2005 they were like in an air vent Got and he it. like heard something and he gets up and looks at the air vent and, they and then they just swarm him that didn't happen okay yeah, that's funny you bring that i'm sorry to cut you off no. but actually in the ed and lorraine interview they were talking about the flies yeah and they were saying that it didn't happen like it did in the movie but that it was just like a very large congregation of dead yeah. flies in the in that room see I, that's what i always wonder about because you know in when we're talking about like hollywood and we're seeing the flies and everything that we see in the demonic movies that is a classic like symbol of like no, there is a demonic spirit here. We see like flies surrounding humans, like going mm-hmm. crazy. But I wonder what that actually looks like in real life. So yeah. whenever we hear these differences between what's going on on uh, the movies versus what's going on in the stories that we hear today, like is it them just sitting by the window seal, or are they coming out and attacking from yeah. a vent in yeah. the in the room? Yeah. Yeah. So 
a, a lot of differences just like that. Like you mentioned that the priest reported his hands were bleeding or whatever. In the movies, movie? they portrayed that they were like blistering and bubbling. That's not true. They were just bleeding like you said. Yeah. Um, it is true that the priest did hear somebody whisper him to get out. In the 79 version, it was far more violent sounding. It was more like a like a... Like a rush of like, get out. Yeah. yeah. And okay. th- in the 2005 version, it was just like, get out. Get out. Yeah. Get out um, so it's weird that both movies did different things, but they did the same things in, in different ways. So in real life, fun fact for you. I hope this is right, but I picked this up on several sources. Uh, so I hope this is right. Um, that the Let's Couple actually made a really big deal about the price of the house in the movies. In real life, that wasn't the case. They were upset about the fact that it was 80 grand, but in the movies, they made it portray- they portrayed it as if they were like broke as hell and had zero right. money to their name. Yeah, right. It was just a little out of their price range. Yeah. Um, but the movies portrayed it to seem like they had uh, no money at all. Yeah. And they were just like, oh, this, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I get it. Um, in, uh, in the movie in 1979, they really highly revolve around her aunt, Kathy's aunt being a nun and they tried to counsel her a lot. And in real life, Kathy's aunt was a nun. So I wonder if that's where the conjuring two comes in. Oh, cause that's not in the 2005 movie. At no, all. not at all. That's a really good point. Oh, maybe there's more to it. That's maybe there's not, a connection like, really there. Publicized. I'm going to have to look into that more. Yeah, took a quick break. No connection. <laughs> we looked it up. There's no connection. Anyway, we thought we had something going in there. Yeah, thought we did, but maybe not. Uh, so that's okay. Uh, the, the, it seems like just Hollywood and Warner Brothers took advantage of the fact that they wanted to introduce the nun so that she can get her own spinoff movie so they could make more money. Right. So there's it's no all connection. About, all about money in the end. No connection with the nun and Amityville, except for the fact that Kathy's aunt was a nun, which might be a little Easter egg, but I don't know if it was intended that way. Yeah, right. Um, another couple things that did not happen in real life, uh, and I think the 2005 version did this as, as well, but blood did not drip from the walls when th- that 28th night when shit was hitting the fan. Right. Uh-huh. Blood was portrayed as like going down the steps, and when the family, when Kathy got the kids out of their rooms to run down the stairs, they're like, "Oh my God, there's blood on the stairs." That did not happen. Okay. Yeah. So I said I had mentioned. Sorry to stop you again. I had mentioned there was green slime oozing mm-hmm. from from the ceiling or whatever it was, and I did read another area. They were like, "Well, that that one was a little bit of an elaborate like exaggeration." Got but it. Yeah, it is exactly. also common in other paranormal. So go ahead. An- another thing that happened in the two thousand or in the uh, 79 version was that George fell into like a pit of like black ooze or something mm-hmm. when he like fell through the floor. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen either. That's another just Hollywood. Same yeah. thing with the toilet uh, in, two th- in, I keep saying 2005, 79 uh, black ooze came from like the toilet water and they were like, what's wrong with the plumbing? That, that didn't happen either. Just yeah. more Hollywood shit right. to make it seem scarier than it was. But I'm not discounting the Lutz. I'm sure their experience was horrifying. Yeah. Um, the lawyer says differently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the lawyer, says that, that, lawyer said it was bullshit. <laughs> lawyer said it all happened over a But like really though, like how... I mean, is he just mad because there was a money disagreement, so he wants to go, like, discredit them in the end? Or, I, I think, you yeah. know. Maybe. So on to the 2005 version, the one that Morgan watched. Uh, same thing. Ryan Reynolds played George Lutz. 
Uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, fun fact, before she was really famous, she played uh, the youngest daughter. I knew she was familiar. I had to look her up. And I was like, oh, shit, I know her. And the biggest thing, the biggest problem with this movie is that, first of all, Ronnie walks up into the family's rooms, kills them all. But the youngest daughter gets out of bed and runs to to the the closet closet to hide. That did not happen. Everybody was found face down in their beds. Bullet in the back, bullet right. in the head. Uh, but in this movie, within the first five minutes, I was like, oh, it's already fucking wrong. Yeah, it's You're already, already it, wrong. It's already wrong. You've ruined the whole fucking evening. They did. And Amityville. The whole relationship. One thing that was consistent was the daughter's relationship with somebody named Jody, which yes. was the pig-like figure that she named. Jody. Oh my God. Because in the 2005 version, she wasn't portrayed as a pig. No, it was portrayed as a pig. But in 79... There's a moment where George Lutch is outside and he looks up into the window and in his daughter's room, there's just like this, it looks really cheesy. I'll have to pull up a picture of it. Just like this pig head with red eyes. And then like, he goes like this and then of course it's gone. And that's the only time you ever see the pig. Yeah. Because they portray Jody as a little girl with a gunshot wound. Yep. The girl that, Yep. the youngest. Hold on. That scene also, you know exactly what scene I'm talking about. The babysitter. With a finger. Yeah. She like... (laughs) Both both movies did that as well. They yeah. both had it where the, the babysitter goes into the closet to investigate the spooky the, so thing. So, Taylor, the babysitter was yeah. the f- sitter for the DeFeo family. I they, remember they this. They went out on date night. Yeah, I remember this. Don't worry, y'all. Yeah, she literally fingers her forehead, the bullet wound. Yeah, exactly. And uh, gets just... Carried out on a stretcher. <laughs> yeah, she literally gets carried out on a stretcher, which I've tried to do research. I can't find any evidence of a, a babysitter or a baby. No, because that's haunting. the one thing that stuck with me from middle school with the Amityville movies. Like, that, that is the one. I don't know which yeah. one I saw. I, I'm sure it's the one. And the babysitter was, like, trying to seduce the boy yeah. the whole time. She, she's, like, 19, and this kid's, like, 12. <laughs> and, she, and she's just, like... Laying on his bed, half naked. Yeah, she's, like... <laughs> Have you ever French kissed before? And I was yeah. like, I was like, what and the hell's like, going on? Why here? is that a Have question? Have you ever French before? He's like French, and she's like, like with tongue kiss. Uh, gotta go. And he's like, I was like this she's is like, rapey. I'll teach you if you give me your pen. This is literally. <laughs> I was like, this is so rapey. No, yeah, it was super not rapey. okay. More that is num- awful. More number talk. The budget for the 2005 one was 19 million. Wow. As opposed to the four and a half million from 19 million. Where that's do you even all, get that? That's all for Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, that they paid 18 of that million to Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> um, and then opening weekend, it made the budget back with 23 million, and then all time run made 107.5 wow. million, which is a lot of money again for 2005. But yeah. Rotten Tomatoes wise, this movie got a 23% from critics and a 52% from audience. Which is crazy because the 79 version has a 30 from critics and a 52. From the audience. So very wow. similar scores, but... They must be Amityville fans then. Yeah, absolutely. But then you'd think they'd have a lower score because they are that, like, true crime, or that much of a it's, fan. They would have been, been disappointed. What's so crazy is just how, like, prominent the story is. So really, like, everybody, whenever you hear Amityville, like, it's such a trigger word for the majority of the people. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably not Jen... Like real true Gen Zers, I know that yeah. we're on the cusp, but like they probably have no fucking idea what we're talking about. But yeah. like everybody else They're is like, like Amity who? Amity who? Everybody Who-ville? else is like, <laughs> everybody else is like, oh my god, I'm getting on this Amity hell yeah, Ville. Like yeah. let's go, you know. 
I do have a little bit of trivia regarding oh, this let's movie. Go. Yeah. Are you interested? Yeah, I'm interested. We're so interested. To prepare for being a asshole, uh, Ryan Reynolds chose not to become close with his set family. True. He distanced himself from them. He wasn't mean to them. He was just distant so that the children uh, looked up to him, but he did not respect them in return while the camera was rolling. That's so sad. That's so him. Yeah, that's so him, but so sad. He did this so that he didn't latch on to the actors and actresses so he would have no trouble easing into the verbal and physical abuse portions of the movie. Wow. Also, Mm. fun fact, forgot to mention this when I was talking about uh, mistakes the movie made. Um, well, I guess I haven't gotten to that for the seventy-nine or for the two thousand and five version. But Ryan Reynolds did not, or sorry, George Lutz did not kill the family dog. Oh, yeah, Shaggy. That me off. He's still alive. Did not kill that family dog. Well, not to this day, but like Poor he dog. survived. <laughs> uh, before shooting the film, a body of a fisherman who had been murdered washed up on the bank of the river by the main house. Nuh-uh. Yes. Nuh-uh. That's yes. real? Yeah, that, that, that's real life. That happened. Like the day they showed up to shoot, a body washed up on the shore. That's insanity. That's an omen. Whereas the 79 version, none of the cast or crew reported any weird occurrences, but both movies were not filmed in the original house. Right. Of course not. Uh, because people probably would feel shit. This was the film debut of... Chloe Grace Moretz, and she was only eight years old, but she did all of her own stunts. Hell yeah. Even Even being on the roof of the house. She's a rock star. Yeah, there's this whole exchange in the 2005 version where the daughter, the youngest daughter, gets up on the roof of the house because Jody told her to. That didn't happen either. She wouldn't be closer to her dad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, she was up. That's insane for an eight-year-old. That's impressive. That is crazy. So MGM, which was... A film production company that got later bought out by Warner Brothers. Right. Uh, they claimed the remake was based on new information uncovered during research of the original events, but George Lutz claimed nobody spoke to him or his family about the project. Wow. When he heard about the project being underway, his attorney contacted the studio to find out what they had in planning stages to express Lutz's belief they didn't have the right to proceed without his input. Three letters were sent and none of them were acknowledged. Uh, by the film studio. In June of 2004, the studio filed a motion for declaratory relief in federal court, insisting they had every right to make this movie. Lutz countersued, citing violations of the original contract they had continued following the release of the first movie. The case remained unsolved when Lutz died in 2006. Wow. That's insane. Before the role of the babysitter was given to the actress that played her, I don't have her name, the original person that was supposed to play that role was Megan Fox. Shut, Shut up. the fuck up. That's fun. That's, I love that fun fact. I That's the funnest imagine, fact I ever heard. I couldn't imagine her in that movie. Ooh, I didn't even catch this. But in the movie, all of the kids' names are not accurate to what their names were in real life to protect I, their identity. I did oh. notice that. I did. But then that, I just released all of their names on this oh, podcast. So sorry. But George and Kathy's were. That, those were their names. Yes. George and Kathy was minors, yeah. Um During filming, many, oh my God, many cast and crew members w- woke up at 3.15 a.m. just like, uh, just like Ron DeFeo Jr., Junior That's got to be a little psychological. That might be. Mental going on. Yeah. There. Like the other night I was watching TikToks for too long. Yes. Logan wakes up at five in the morning to me singing. 
California girls, you're unforgettable. Oh oh he God. said, go back to sleep. And I laid back down and went to bed. That's crazy. That's in my head. That is terrifying. Just like, what's his face? All the cast members. This movie was not screened to critics, which is usually a quick sign that the movie is trash. Really? Yep. If a movie does not get pre-screens, uh, that usually means that the studio is not confident in it. Why? Wow. How could you even put something out? Like, you just spent $19 million, and you're like, oh, it's trash, actually. But there goes 20 mil down the drain. <laughs> yep. Uh, so that's trivia for the most part. Um, though the story is largely fictional, contrary to George Lutz's claims, the factual elements of the story remain present in the films. Ronnie DeFeo Jr. murdered six members of the family at November 13th of 74 and was convicted of six accounts of second-degree murder on the 21st of November 1975. On December 4th, 1975, DeFeo uh, was sentenced to six concurrent 25-to-life sentences. The Lutz moved into 112 Ocean Avenue on the December 19th. And moved out January 14th. Oh, that's fun. They had Christmas and New Year's in that movie. Oh, in that that's house. Nice. Damn, that's actually terrible. The rest. Also, <laughs> Beautiful. complete side note, both of these movies take place in December in New York and there's no snow on the ground. I think that's bullshit. Yeah. That is bullshit. That's what I said when they were like, Our, the house is always cold. Well, you're in Long Island and New York. Yeah, in it's December. some fucking freezing. Sorry. But, exactly. Yeah. So that's the trivia for the most part. And then quickly, the things that the... 79 version, or sorry, 2005 version, do wrong. Um, A, again, walls don't drip with blood. They portrayed that in this movie as well. Um, The youngest son never accounted for encountering a demon in the bathroom. Uh, That was just another Hollywood jump scare. Um, The youngest daughter is seen in one scene uh, navigating herself to or following Jody to the boathouse where she jumps in the water or whatever. Uh, That didn't happen in real life either. Um, George never, uh, I, I wrote, George wasn't ripped like Ryan Reynolds is. <laughs> That's facts. Uh, again, That's facts. George, this no movie, cap. the 2005 version really defaced George Lutz. Like, all of these facts are about George. George never killed their dog. That was complete bullshit, and George was furious about that. Because yeah, that be dog too. is still alive to this day. Um, in the end of the 28th night, George did not terrorize his family and chase them around with a gun. That is not true. Uh, again, the priest did not get attacked by the flies. And then finally, at the end of the 2005 version, the family escaped by getting on the boat and driving uh, the yeah, boat across that. the lake yeah. that backed right. up to the house. In the in real life, they just got their ass in the car and drove away. Right. I mean, that's probably in the, the more morning, reasonable too. thing to they do. They left in the morning. They didn't leave in the middle of the night. And then quickly, quickly, quickly... Conjuring 2 did a few things, and which is weird for the five, ten minutes that they spent in the Amityville house in that movie at the very beginning. They got a few things wrong that I just thought, like, if they were going to spend only ten minutes there, why wouldn't they get everything right? Right. Check it. it says, uh, Lorraine Warren states in the movie that the church reached out to her and Ed asking for help, where in real life, the news media in New York it was the, one of the ones that reached out to the Warren f- uh, family to, to come investigate. Wow. Wow. No, you don't need to rush. You're good. Uh, and then in The Conjuring 2, it shows the mother's body facing upwards. Oh. Whereas the police report states that all the bodies were found face down. Face yeah. down, yeah. And then finally again, Lorraine states that Ronnie DeFeo killed them because he was under the influence of something demonic. Whereas in real life, he just said that he heard voices telling him to do it. 
Yeah, so Lorraine exactly. says that he was straight up possessed by a demon, whereas in real life his story was, and, uh, you know, that he just heard voices. Right, and in him. both movies, or I don't know, why, I, I don't know why I said both. I didn't even watch the other one. I'm but like, hello. In the 2005 movie, when the family was like so far away from the house, they were fine. They were normal. They were. They weren't experiencing anything. So were, was he possessed or was it something in the house that like... It's like the land. Put him in it? Right. And I wanted to mention when you said something about the little girl in the boathouse, what did you think of the whole like it scene with the balloon, the red balloon? Stupid, bro. What the fuck? She's just carrying a red balloon. I'm like, wait, am I watching You're it? like, hello? Are we it? doing a crossover right now? <laughs> it was very strange. I'm trying to see when... Okay, so it wasn't until 1990 that the first... Uh, version of it came out so i was gonna say maybe they were paying homage to it but it's just weird that that it just pissed like me off also girl just walking with a red balloon and then the balloon floats up like that's it that is that's that literally is the it. first it, scene of it and then just the whole fact that they they relied have so heavily on the little girl in the in the 2005 version the youngest daughter her being the one that was haunting the family essentially or being best friends with the little girl that wasn't true it was it was just voices and, and the other demonic figures, but nobody's ever reported seeing the youngest daughter of the DeFeo family yeah. being the one that's running around haunting them. Well, I will say, like, in some of the controversies that I, were, I was reading about the trial and everything that went on, uh, Ronald Jr. swore up and down, not the youngest, well, no, not the youngest, uh, 18-year-old Dawn was actually the person that killed the entire family. And then he came home and saw it and then killed Dawn. And there was an accomplice with them. That's insane. Yeah, and that's what they said for years, but there's no evidence that, yeah, that, like, you know, supports this claim in any way, shape, or form. But this went on for years. There's even books about it. And then they ended up, you know, saying, like, oh, I never did this interview with this person that wrote this book, blah, blah, blah. Like, there was a lot of drama about whether or not it was Dawn that started killing everybody. But then at that point, why would Ronald not have – why did Ronald finish the job? Right. You know? Like, it's not like Dawn could have shot themselves, like, laying down, face down in their bed, just like how they were found. So I don't know. Yeah. So last side note, I told you I'd show you a picture of the pig in yeah. the 1979 yes. version. That's all it was. Ew, Literally just like somebody photoshopped like a window. pig with red eyes. It almost looks like a chihuahua. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it looks completely fake. And by the way that it looks like it's being portrayed, it looks like it's like 10 feet tall, which yeah. wouldn't yes. make sense. Yeah, not um, even in that house. So, so let me ask you your famous question. What do you rate it? Both oh, movies. shit. That was a good one, Morgan. That's great. So as of this week, the Binge Boys just rebranded re, uh, and we, instead of doing a five-point rating scale, we're switching over to doing letter grades. Okay, okay let's, let's hear the letter grade. So the letter grade, I actually wrote it down. The letter grade <laughs> he knew. for uh, the 1979 version, uh, I have to give it... A C plus, I think. C seventy nine. I can only imagine the two thousand five. Yeah. Two thousand five. I give uh, a D like a D minus, borderline F. Really? Got I it. there was just so much wrong with the movie, and the fact that the movie relied on like the cheap jump scares. Where seventy nine, there were no jump scares. It was just right. like telling the tale of this family. 
And there were also creepy elements. It almost felt more of a drama than a horror movie. There were scary elements of the 79 version. But the 2005 version just felt like the studio was like, we can make a quick buck off of this Amityville shit. We're going to get a a couple no-name actors and actresses to do it. We won't have to pay them anything. We'll pocket so much money. Right. And it just felt like a... Just like a cheap knockoff. Got and it. The two, the nineteen the seventy nine version. I re- would recommend you both watch. It, yeah, it's, I am gonna watch it's it. It's good. Now. It's a lot slower. I'm gonna have to watch it. It definitely feels like it came out in seventy nine. Oh, that drives me nuts. But, but I it, can handle it. But it's I better. I think I've seen the seventy nine and not the one with Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds was you just probably bad because you grew up watching. I always old watch shit. old movies. Yeah, I never really watch new movies. Yeah. Wow. So then I have to watch the 2005 version is basically what I'm hearing. They're both on HBO Max for free. Okay, perfect. Got it. Got it. Let's go. Well, I guess that wraps us up. Are we done? Thank wow. you so much for being here, Logan. Yes, thank you so and much Catherine, for having me And thank on. you for hanging out. I know it's been a long ride. Catherine's been literally she chilling out. She's, she's like, another mimosa, please. Yeah, she's like, I planned my entire wedding today. Thank you. <laughs> well, quick note. This is coming out on Thanksgiving, right? Yes. Yeah. Also coming out today on my Binge Boys podcast feed is a run-through, basically what we just did for the Amityville movies, uh, kind of breaking it down, talking about the budget, talking about trivia, all that stuff. I had Taylor and Morgan on, and we talked about National Treasure. Yes, I forgot it comes out on the same day. And it comes out on the same day. It comes out today. So go over there and listen to that if you want to hear us talk about National Treasure. Yeah, and I kind of led you guys into that when I was talking about the Oak Island Mysteries. Last week. Was it last week? Yeah. For, for them, them, yeah. Yeah, for us two days ago. Yeah, for them, I, for <laughs> us, we just released it. Like, yeah. yeah, so definitely go check out Logan, um, Binge Boys Podcast, available Yeah, on give them Mark. all of your stuff. It's on everything. YouTube is ramping up, too. We just went through this huge rebrand, so don't get confused if you see conflicting logos. You know, <laughs> Apple and Spotify, they take a minute to refresh right. new stuff. Um, so, yeah, Binge Boys Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Give them fo- your at. You can follow me on Logan Lewis 96 on both yeah. of those as well. Catherine, what's your at? Catherine Question P- mark. Catherine PK underscore? Underscore, yeah. That might be yeah. it. Yeah, Morgan, go check out. Uh, Morgan.m, Morgan. double the G, baby. Morgan.m, double the G, double bitch. Double the G. We haven't heard that in so long. And I'm Taylor J with an A, of course. Taylor J with an A. You guys can hit us up on Creeps and Crimes Podcast at, uh, on Instagram, on Twitter. It's Creep. Creeps underscore crimes on TikTok. It's creeps and crimes. And then on YouTube, it's creeps and crimes podcast. And same on Facebook. Go give us a like ratings. Go rate all. all, I about said all three of us. Go rate both of us and uh, binge boys on Apple and creeps and crimes on Apple. So go hit us up. Give us a few five stars and only (laughs) only five stars (laughs) and some nice little comments for you guys. We love hearing what you guys want to hear. And we're so happy to have you here. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.